0: Hey there, this is Michael Rocco, and you're listening to Our Best Interests, a podcast dedicated to pursuing and examine life following childhood trauma. We'll explore the painful and the joyous parts of life. The focus is on the adoptee experience, but general lessons about humanity are at the center of our explorations. We'll drop new episodes as guests come by to see us. There are many interesting characters with interesting stories in our community. So we're sure to learn a few things and enjoy ourselves a bit too. Now get ready to take a deep dive into the core issues of self, family, and society from the adoptee perspective.
1: Tell me one more story Can you go all the way back To Richmond, around And there's a relic in your old hands And strong words to fight with I think we should walk away I saw you through the glass door And I was acting on my best,
0: Tonight we're joined by Brad Ewell. Brad lives in McKinney, Texas with his wife and three kids. He's been a police officer for 25 years. He works in the community policing unit and with the bomb squad. He became a late discovery adoptee in 2019. Welcome, Brad. Thank you. So, Jack, my partner in crime, how did you come to meet Brad?
2: Funny you use the term partner in crime with a police sergeant with us but uh after our last podcast um i thought we had a a great response and brad was uh one of the members who, who listened and um brad contacted me and i i did a little search on him and i he's got an incredible story uh so then we connected and we had one other meeting beforehand now brad can you um your story is so much different than Michael and I's, you know, Michael and I both uh, knew from as soon as we could know about our adoption. Uh, your story is not that, and I'd like to maybe hear a little bit about from you.
3: Sure. So I was born in 1970 in Dallas, Texas. I was part of what a lot of people refer to as a gray market adoption. I know that there was some state involvement in my adoption, but it was Kind of all seemed like a backdoor deal. My adoptive family was amazing, they were great to me. I grew up in a happy home. I've heard horror stories from other adoptees, and I feel really fortunate with what I got to experience. Um, my parents stayed together throughout my lifetime. My dad was a pilot, so one of the amazing things for me as a kid is I got to travel to all kinds of cool places that now that I'm grown, I really appreciate more than I ever did back then when I got to travel to them. I just didn't really get all the amazing things I was getting to see. We lived in Texas my basically my entire life. We lived in Chicago for maybe a year or less when I was first born, but then moved to Texas. What's different from y'all's story to mine is that I did not grow up knowing I was adopted. I found out I was adopted when I was 48 years old after doing an ancestor DNA test. I had never had any indication or feeling out of place before then we didn't my wife and i did an ancestry dna test just for fun to see on a map where we came from when we did this what ended up happening was a biological aunt of mine also did a dna test and matched to me and reached out trying to figure out how the two of us matched that unraveled the just about 50 year secret that my that my parents had kept about me being adopted Since I've learned I was adopted, I've actually had the good fortune of getting to reunite with a lot of biological family. I've met, I I call them all sisters and brothers because I grew up as an only child, so I don't have any other than from my biological family, but I now have found two brothers, one sister, three aunts, and my biological father. My biological mother passed away 19 years before I ever found out I was adopted. There are still several more uncles out there, but none of them live close. So I've never had time to get to know any of them.
2: Now, Brad, I mean, that to me, you know, Michael and I were talking a little earlier, um, that's like the nightmare scenario, you know, that, you know, as adoptees, I would always tell my friends and anyone who was interested that, uh, oh, my parents are great. They told me right from the start, you know, they, I knew all along, as soon as I could find out, as soon as I, you know, was old enough to know about being adopted, I knew, you know. Um, but you hear these stories about people who, you know, find out late, late discovery adoptees, um, you know, for you, um, I, I find it interesting, like as a, as a, as a member of the bomb squad, you know, that this big bomb just exploded on you. Now, what, what is that moment like when that, that moment, when the bomb goes off, you know, that first realization that, you know, whether it came from your wife or came from your, your parents, you know, what is that like when that happened to you? My adoptive
3: family really didn't want to take part in any kind of reunification thing. It was not something they were into or interested in. I think had I not taken an ancestry test, this would have been something that my parents would have taken to the grave and I wouldn't either would have never found out or would have found out after I couldn't get any answers. Looking at my life now and reading things like the primal wound and learning about adoption, what I see in myself, looking at myself as an adopted person, is a lot of the things that I think a lot of other adoptees share. I have that same pathological, I call it pathological independence that I've read about where you can help me, but I'd certainly rather get my own water if I was on fire than let you help me. I just would rather do it myself. I don't typically trust people on first glance and meeting. That's just something I don't do. And then what's really been weird or hard for me is Looking back on the struggles and the fights that I had with my adoptive parents growing up, I think had I known I was adopted all along, it would have been a lot easier to understand where they were coming from. Because a lot of the stuff they did was kind of clinging on to me and being really tight and really tight-knit and looking for a lot of gratitude for things. And all of that, I think, came from adopting me. As far as where my adoptive parents are now with all of this, my adopted dad passed away about a year ago. The fortunate thing before that was he and I did get one night to spend where we talked and put a lot of things to bed. He wanted to hear the adoption story or not really the adoption story, but more the unification stories that have happened since then. The flip side of that is my mom. My mom has probably early to moderate stage Alzheimer's. So, She can't really tell me anything. And really, when we get in the topic of adoption, which I avoid like the plague with her, it really confuses her. So that's something I really avoid with her.
2: Now, you know, when we first communicated, you had me right from the start when you talked about Marcel Proust and your quote that, that you've chosen for today, referring to, you know, now that you've discovered, you look at the world through different eyes. Now, would you like to read that um, quote for us? And then uh, we'll have you go through some of your, your own writings. And um, then we'll tie this all in with our with our discussion.
3: Sure, I'd love to. So the quote is, the real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes. And what I've done from that is written a piece because i feel like that's one of the things that adoption has really done for me is given me a whole new set of eyes for the world on march seventeenth, 2019 the world as i knew it changed in an instant when my dad said two words you're adopted i was 48 years old and never suspected the people who had raised me were not my biological parents but after taking an ancestry dna test a four-decade secret was brought to light. This new information left me unmoored, and I lost my sense of identity and trust in the people who had raised me. My adoptive parents and well-meaning friends who had, would try to comfort me and say, but nothing has really changed. I would always tell them that while nothing had changed, at the same time, everything had changed. I've come to compare it to the end of the movie, The Sixth Sense, with Bruce Willis's character realizes that he's dead. Nothing in his world has changed. He's been dead throughout that entire movie, but he sees and understands his world in a completely different way through new eyes. This describes my experience as a late discovery adoptee. My world is still very much the same. I have the same wife, kids, house, job, and friends, but I see the world through entirely different eyes. I grew up as an only child in a small family. My mom was an only child, and my dad had one brother he was estranged from most of his life. Overnight, I became the second in four half-siblings, and now saw the world through the eyes of both a younger and older brother. Along with the siblings came more aunts, uncles, and cousins than I can keep up with. My biological mother passed away 19 years before I learned the truth, but my biological father was still alive. This presented the opportunity to see things through yet another set of new eyes. I have been working as a law enforcement officer for 28 years, And now I find myself with a father who has spent the last 48 years in prison for murder. Now I saw the world as someone who has a relative who is incarcerated. This was one of the areas that I found the most change in myself. When I eventually decided that I wanted to meet my father, I went with many preconceived notions of what I would find. My expectation was pretty simple. I wanted to lay eyes on the person who was half responsible for my presence on earth and assumed that it would be our only meeting. I had prepared myself to find someone who took little responsibility for their actions, saw the world as against them, and had excuses for everything. Instead, the man who sat down at the table with me was an authentic and took ownership for the actions that landed him in prison. And after spending almost eight hours with him, I walked away with a genuine affection for him. Instead of the single meeting I'd envisioned, we talked twice a week now, and I plan to visit him again when possible. Outside of the apparent family changes, I see myself differently as well. I recognize I have a creative and artistic side that I haven't nurtured for the past 50 years because it wasn't something the family and I grew up in seemed very interested in. I don't beat myself up for not being physically built like my mother and father because genetically, that's just not me. I also see quite a bit of where quite a bit of my personality came from, which has given me the ability to have more grace for myself. I spent years believing that the differences in personality between myself and my parents who raised me and the many fights that we had and disagreements were born out of a sense of rebellion against them. Instead, I've found many inherited traits, and the clashes came from the nurture versus nature when they were in conflict. When I think about this voyage of discovery and all that has occurred, I'm grateful. While it hasn't been easy, I wouldn't change it for the world. My life is much richer because of the wonderful people I now consider family and whom I never would have met had I not discovered the truth. I also understand myself much better, and I'm learning to lean more into who I am. I recently listened to a podcast interview of Christina Bryan Fitzgibbons, an investigative genealogy and podcast host. She gave the best advice for those of us who are now seeing the world through our new eyes. Be kind and be cool about it. I would add to that, be open to the experience. You never know what you're going to find.
2: you're, you know, when you discover that you were adopted, like, what was that like?
3: It's completely unmooring. I mean, everything that I ever knew about me, while, like I said, in my piece, nothing really changed about my immediate circumstance. My whole history was gone. I wasn't clear where I came from. The people that had raised me and told me there, they were my parents. While they had been my parents through adoption had lied to me about a significant part of my life. So I spent quite a bit of time just trying to piece together who I actually was.
0: Um how long were you actually, you know, rattling in your shoes over this? Or, or is it still happening?
3: I really feel like to this day it's still going on. Um, I spent the first six months telling everybody that I was okay. It was strange information. It was different. It was interesting, but I was fine. And what I think really derailed me was Lester Holt did a segment called life on the inside, where he spent three days in Angola prison and something about watching that and seeing where my dad was living just completely derailed me. I was still struggling before that with, I'd catch myself staring at myself in the mirror going, I don't know who I look like anymore I don't know really who I am, but something about seeing where he was really made everything really come together and become real for me.
2: Now, you, Brad, as a, as a law enforcement officer, you know, to find out that your father's in prison for murder um, and has been there for your entire life. Um, I, I can't imagine the, you know, as a physician who doesn't ever want to be a patient, you know, suddenly you find a father, a family member who, you know, would be your patient, so to speak, you know, the, you know, your clientele, or, you know, however the the phrase goes. Um, what is that like? You know, that's, you know, you've spent your whole life on this side, and he spent your whole life on that side.
3: I really think a lot of that was easier for me than it would be for a lot of other people, because he was not the first murderer I'd ever talked to or laid eyes on. So where that can really undo a lot of people, especially working in the jail, like I did before I became a police officer, I got to know guys. I mean, I spent my time, actually more of my time, it felt like with people that were incarcerated than I did with my own family, because I'd come home from work, go to bed, get up, start over. I was spending more of my life with people that were in jail. So it wasn't that strange of a feeling. It really didn't bother me. I don't know why. I think for some people it really would, but I've met people that have done horrible things before, but that doesn't necessarily define you for your life. It defines one brief moment in your life where you did some horrific things, but that doesn't just cast you off as a person completely.
2: Now you now you talk, Brad, about you know the mirror moment and um, you know once again, you know you, you just you speak to me on that. Because, you know, for me, it was, you know, it, when, I got, when I obtained my original birth certificate and the court documents, you know, the judge referred to me as this, quote, Negro child, you know, and, you know, my father was mixed race. And I remember those same moments, you know, walking by a mirror and just staring into my eyes and looking at my features and not knowing who that guy is in the mirror. You know, now that that's something that I don't think a lot of non-adoptees, can really experience, like, how does that change you? And, and, you know, what were your, some of your thoughts?
3: I think what was fortunate for me was the openness that my biological family had towards me. I think that I would still be spiraling today. Had I not gotten to lay eyes on people that genetically mirrored me in some way, um, when it initially happened and I had seen a couple of pictures, but hadn't got to talk to anybody. I would stare at myself in the mirror and just go, I I don't know who this is anymore. I mean, I know who I am, but where I grew up thinking, God, I wish I looked like my dad. I looked just like my mom, but my dad was a really good looking dude. And I was bummed that I didn't look like him. Suddenly I don't look like either of those people. And now I start questioning, who do I look like? Whose features do I share? What what parts of my personality are the way they are because of people that I've never met before. And really the only piece for me ever came from that is when I started getting in front of the people that I was biologically related to. Mm -hmm.
0: It sounds like you're, you're getting into a thought process that Jack is uh, frequently bringing up about the distinction between nature and nurture. And you, as part of that, recognize an artistic ability or a proclivity that maybe wasn't as nurtured as you would have liked it to have been. Um, can you give us an idea of where you sit today in the conversation about the influences, respectively, of nature and nurture?
3: Absolutely. Um, so the person that I quoted in my article, Christina, She and I talked about it for a while one day since she's worked with a lot of either adoptees or people that found out bio their birth certificate dad was not their bio dad. And we got in the discussion of, you know, really one of the things that came up was the bomb squad idea. And I told her I felt like I really didn't have a whole lot of shot of making not dangerous life choices because I had a biological father who had murdered somebody and was part of a motorcycle gang. And I had an adoptive father that was a fighter pilot in Vietnam and flew planes off aircraft carriers. So, so in, in that vein, I look at somebody that really either side of it, I was, I seemed bound to make poor life choices at some point. Um, Other parts of me, it may not seem like it necessarily on a podcast. I am horrifically introverted. Both of the people that raised me, absolute extroverts, my dad or my mom, either one, you throw them in a room, they own the whole room. You throw me in a room, I will get close to the wall and try to coast into a corner where nobody will bother me. And when I met my biological dad and I said, Hey, just tell me about you, describe yourself to me, tell me what you're like. He made it through about three sentences. And I said, you've got to stop. Cause I know I'm making weird faces and I'm staring at you funny It's because I feel like you're sitting there telling me about me. And that's where I really started landing on. I think if you look at like those big five personality traits, the introversion, extroversion, agreeableness, and all that, a lot of that I fully believe is much more nature than nurture. It can be molded a little bit with nurture. But the way Christina described it to me was if you look at somebody outside of personality traits, but you go with like a mental illness aspect, like schizophrenia, it's a mental issue. Just like introversion is a mental thing and you will not nurture schizophrenia out of somebody when you raise them. That's just coming. So that's kind of where I've landed on that is it quite a bit of its straight n- nature.
2: Now that's a that's an amazing um, you, you just you know really spurred a, a, a point with me is that you know at some point maybe two years ago, I took that Briggs uh, Myers personality test and um, when I took it, I knew that my Joyce, my birth mother, like I knew she was going to have the same personality. So without telling her, I sent her the quiz and asked her to take it. And, you know, the personality trait that that I had was found in 4% of males and 2% of females. And she had the exact same personality um, profile. And, um, you know, when we spoke on the phone, we would say the same things or the way, you know, our manner of thinking was very similar. So, I, I mean, I can totally empathize with that. I can totally see that. I mean, that's. I
3: think if I had the ability to give that to my bio dad, you'd see the exact same thing. I know, I did the Myers Briggs years ago. I'm an INTJ, and my money would be that he's right in that same vein. Mm-hmm.
2: Now, now, Brad, one thing that I found really interesting about your story that was also different, you know, you being part of this gray market adoption. Um, you know, I I read that you were you, you were born delivered and then within a short period of time were transferred to your to your adoptive parents and um you know for for Michael and I when we talk about this you know birth separation trauma you know there's a period of several weeks you know following delivery um where you know I can imagine myself in a crib by myself without stimulation without um any cuddling or any maternal maternal care. Now, do you think, you know, you know, tell us a little about your story and, you know, I'm I'm curious to the effect that that may have had on you versus someone who was through a a more traditional adoption process.
3: So some of it, I don't think I'll ever really know because my mom or my adopted mom can't explain it to me, but what I've learned, especially from reading primal wound and just, kind of doing deep dives into me and how I am with people is I think that's that's still there just in a different way and what I look at is my own kids. And when I think of my own kids and when they were babies, there would come a point at any moment where the only person they wanted was mom. I could hold them, grandma could hold them, anybody could hold them but until you gave them back to mom things would not go right in the world. There was going to be screaming, there was going to be crying and think that didn't stop. And my guess is that that went further for me because the people that were trying to parent me and be my parents weren't the person I was looking for because I grew up smelling and sensing somebody for nine months, it was suddenly gone. So I think I probably fought a little bit harder against it because I know when my kids were little, no matter how tight I tried to hold them, once they wanted mom, things were not going well. So I think that that's probably what I experienced instead of the lack of stimulation. It was probably more of an overstimulation, which is why today, if you offer me a chance to go get in a sensory deprivation tank for an hour, I will go in a heartbeat.
2: You know, you, you mentioned earlier about the, you know, the, the rugged individualistic, you know, I mean, being from Texas, and I'm sure you're, you know, got all those, you know, Texas independence, um, characteristics along with you as well. Um, But, you know, I mean, I feel very much the same is like, you know, I can do it. I don't, you know, even with, you know, my, my choice to for therapy was writing my book, you know, the idea of, you know, and probably similar to you, you're a tough Texas guy, you know, to go and sit with a therapist. How do you tell your friends about that? You know, I do it every week.
3: I see a therapist every week. And I will tell you that that's probably where I learned more about the trauma side of this is when we started talking and, you know, they'd say, well, tell me about you. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm just, I'm an average guy. I don't like help with anything. If I'm on fire, I'll get my own water, leave me alone. I'm good. And I'd watch the therapist look, sit across the room from me, look at me like, wait a minute. And I'd stop and I'd say, what? And she's like, that's not that normal. I'd say it sure it is. So no, I mean, it's not fun to admit but I mean, I talk about it in front of cops. Every time that we do
2: in-service, I go to therapy every week. I have to. Yeah. I spoke with one of my military buddies. He listened to our first podcast and um, he's like, Jack, I hear you talk about this, you know? And I'm like, you're you, you're you. What are you having issues about? You know, he's telling me this. He's like, and he asked me, he's like, why, why do you want to keep digging into this? You know, other than, you know, to get the spread, the WTFs around, you know, but you know, I'm trying to explain to him. I'm like, no, Buzz. I do think it's valuable for me to understand myself, and for me to, you know, that, you know, not having those those genetic mirrors, I have to look at myself now in a different way and, and try to figure myself out. You know, and have you, you know, I'm sure you have colleagues that are like, oh, you know, Brad's going to therapy. You know, I mean, it's it's something that men don't typically do. Um, we clearly need to do. I mean, that was totally
3: me for quite a while. So. Like I said earlier, watching that Lester Holt special was what derailed me. And it took 72 hours of being awake straight and not being able to sleep before I was like, huh, I'm probably going to have to get some help because I can't carry on like this. But I mean, I still up until that point was like, I, I got this. I can do it. I told everybody I was fine. And you're absolutely right. I mean, I have friends today that still, I mean, one of my closest friends, when I talk about it, I'm about to talk to bio daddy, He's like, why do you do that to yourself? Mm -hmm. And my answer is because I've never seen a can of worms that was not open that I couldn't walk by and not open. So I just I I have that natural inquisitive side of me that I do want to know.
0: You had mentioned that uh, you recognize that it's a likelihood that you would have uh, been attaching to your birth mother during not only the nine months, but the following two days that you spent with her prior to separation. Um, but yet uh, you didn't have, you don't describe at least the sense uh, of dislocation that so many adoptees like myself experienced from very early ages. I wonder if you can help reconcile that for me. How does that, how do you see the trauma of abandonment uh, not having a tugging effect on you for your 48 years? I think looking back on it in hindsight, being
3: 2020, it was there. I just never knew that something was off. I can tell you that when I met biological family, especially like when I met my sister for the first time and hugged her, I finally felt like I fit somewhere and was hugging somebody like I'd never really hugged my mom or dad before. And there was just, that was, it took finding somebody that I connected to to actually realize the disconnect that had been going on for years. I don't know if you've ever watched the Truman show, but there's a (laughs) great... Jack
0: and I talk about this all the time. Okay, great. So
3: yeah, there's a great (laughs) part in there where they ask the director, you know, how do you get this guy to believe this? And he says, you know, we accept the reality that's presented to us. So I fully bought in because I've learned through talking to other relatives that Everybody was sworn to secrecy. Now, how nobody managed to spill the beans for 48 years will be on be beyond my comprehension forever. But with that reality presented and never really seen another side of it, it just it never occurred to me that something was off.
2: Yeah. Well, that's that's funny that you Michael, remember the, the line that I was trying to remember? That's the line that I was trying to remember, the one that you just gave us, Brad um, that quote, when he said, um, the director said, um, we're, we're presented with, you know, we, we accept the reality we're presented with, um, because that was the same experience with me. And, you you know, it's, we talked about a little bit of this, um, in our emails, you know, as far as blaming your parents, you know, I, I also had a great family. I had a great upbringing, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, more blessings than I really ever deserved. Um, but then you're faced with this this secret that your parents have have held for so long. Um, and you know, I mean clearly, I struggled with, you know from my standpoint, it's like, well, why couldn't they have told me? What was wrong with the secret that they couldn't have told me? What was wrong with me that they couldn't let me know about? you know, um, and I think I've come, I've come to my terms with it. you know, what have you done with that? How has that affected? Affected you now? Dealing with this, this great family that you had, that now you find out had this secret this whole time.
3: That's something that I struggle with quite a bit. Still, I've I've read a lot about it. I've written a little bit about it, trying to work it out in my own head. What I'm really trying to do, and it sounds pretty similar to what you're doing, is I'm just trying to make peace with it within myself. I don't know if I'll ever fully forgive it. I think. Probably one of the most brutal aspects of being a late discovery adoptee is the stolen time. So, I mean, my biological mother, I don't have any ability or any way to ever know much about her because it was just kept a secret from me. My sister that I found, I met her and I mean, I fell in love with this girl. Phenomenal, fun to hang out with. She lives close. We see each other. We met, I think, in May and by November she's been diagnosed with stage 4 cancer and probably won't be with me for more than a few years at best. So Sorry. there's yeah, thank you. There's there's just a brutality there of looking at I have lost so much that I can never gain back. On the flip side of that, from knowing my brother from my biological dad's side, there's a huge blessing there. Having a dad in prison, when you talk to him, affected him because he grew up his whole life with the father that was in prison. I didn't grow up with that experience. I think that's actually allowed my bio dad and I to be closer because there's not that history between us where you chose something over me and got locked up for your whole life instead of being home, being a dad to me. So there it's, it's a double-edged sword. I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever come to peace with it because Finding out this late, everybody is old. I mean, my youngest aunt is in her 60s. My bio dad's in his late 70s. My sister, that's got cancer, is a little bit younger than me, but she's not doing well. So I'm hoping to eventually make peace with it in my own head. I don't know I'll ever be able to sit across from like my mom and say, I forgive you for just stealing 48 years of my life. And I, I don't know. I think that's just where I'll be stuck.
0: When you speak to other late discovery adoptees, do you find that your uh, experiences um, are more in common than not? I think
3: most of us share quite a few common traits. The biggest difference I've seen with me compared to other people's stories is that um, my biological family was fully open across the board to getting to know me. I I can't remember. I think I read it somewhere, but I know that somebody that I talked to at one point, their biological mother's response was, if I knew you could have found me this much later, I would have had an abortion. I can't imagine being told that when I'm just trying to get to know somebody that's responsible for me landing on Earth. So that part, I think, has been different because most, I won't say most, but quite a few adoptees that I talked to the bio family either isn't interested, doesn't believe it. There's some hang up there. Um, As far as the flip side of that, the loss of time, I think we all share that where, I mean, I think one of the other people I know found out in their late sixties and most of their biological family was gone before they ever knew.
2: You know, there's very few men on a lot of these, these sites and, you know, You know, there's plenty that's written about the, you know, the difference between the male and the female brain. Um, But for me to have all these emotions intertwined with one another would absolutely drive me batty. You know, I have to look at, I have to look at the, I'm grateful because I had all these things. I'm sorrowful because I had all these things. I'm angry because I had these other things, you know, that, that it's too much for me to deal simultaneously. And that's how I've coped. I don't, I don't know if you guys agree or not.
0: Jack, you're absolutely you're right, and it's important to point out that I would estimate about eighty percent of the inhabitants of adoptee spaces online are female. We uh, we have a different experience. You you talk about you know studies of the brain being different. Of course, as a sociologist, I come to it from a different angle, and that is of the inculcation of male ideas. It's a, an ideology in and of itself. And first and foremost, we don't talk about what hurts us. That's one of the one of the foundational rules here. And and now here we are, we three, uh breaking that rule and shattering it as we do. Um so Brad, you know, as Jack has pointed out, you know, you're a tough guy. You're a cop, you're a bomb guy. Uh, from Texas, even. From you Texas. Know, big Texas. You know. <laughs>
2: I don't know about Texas people but up in Pennsylvania they say we don't don't mess with Pennsylvania, right? What do you say down <laughs> in Texas? <laughs> the so, exact same.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so so my question is uh you know was this a little bit more challenging because you think, you know, how did, how did being a, a man formerly a boy in training to be a man come into play with you managing your discovery?
3: I think just like Jack said I mean, I've, I told my therapist the first time I ever talked to her, I am the King of compartmentalization. Everything has a box, everything goes in its box and that's where it stays. We don't get it back out. We don't play with it. It it lives in its box. So like I said, for six months, I did pretty good stuffing everything in its proper boxes and be like, okay, that's, you know, that bio dad murdered somebody, got it, put it away in the box, got three siblings, got it, put it away in the box. And I think eventually what I've learned for myself at least is eventually you overstuff the box. I mean, you can try hard to keep it all locked in, but eventually some of it starts spilling out and it's kind of like putting toothpaste back into tube. Once it all starts coming out, you can't get it really back in. Um, But that whole idea, I mean, it's, I think it's true of so many men. We are taught at least from our generation is, you're rugged, you're an individualist. Yeah. That hurt. Great. Shut up and rub dirt on it and walk it off and you'll be fine. So yes, you walk everything off. <laughs> I've heard that so many times in my life. Yeah. Rub dirt on it. That's, that's another great one. Yeah. That's <laughs> yes. The, the, that's the two healing qualities. Your dad will tell you as you walk yeah. it off and you rub dirt on it, you'll be fine. So that's how I grew up and come into terms with the fact I was going to have to go talk to somebody about how I felt. I mean, I've been in therapy for a year and a half now. And every time I go, I'm still like, Oh my God, I have to go talk to somebody about how I feel really. And I'm paying to do this. Why would I do this? But every time I leave, I'm like, okay, I feel a little better today. This this is okay. But it's still hard, even though I know I need to go.
0: Yeah. For me, it's, it's a practice. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm learning uh, the language that I would have learned should I have, stayed with my birth mother, Spanish right now. And I've learned that it's just a little bit every day. And it's the same thing for me with therapy, that you make very incremental progress. And over time, it builds up, it accumulates, uh, and your progress becomes more noticeable. And uh, yeah, I I feel the same way, though, every time. It's like, really, is this what I'm doing? I'm I'm going to tell this person all about the things that I didn't even tell myself.
2: Right. And don't even don't, you know, uh, uh, don't even think about crying over it, being emotional over it. You Ooh. know, are you kidding me? Just ah, slap yourself and wake up, you know, you know. The other thing, the other thing that um, really interests me about you, Brad, is, you know, um, I had no in, I had no interest in, in, you know, finding my birth parents, you know, and there was my it was getting married and having children where my, my wife said, don't you think it'd be a good idea to find your birth mother? And I'm like, no, that's not a good idea. And she's like, but what about your medical history? I'm like, I'm a doctor. I know my medical history. My kids are going to know my medical history. Why do we need to know that? And she went on and on and on. And, you know, eventually I succumbed and, you know, there were periods where I'm like, you know, had some resentment towards her, you know, it's like you're opening this can of worms for me and you're not prepared to deal with it. I'm not prepared to deal with it. Um, now do you re, you know, do you have similar regrets or thoughts about even taking that that uh, ancestry test? you know or, or on balance, where do you stand on that? Like was it a, a good choice or would you like to be back the way things were? That's
3: something that just about everybody I tell the story to asks. And early on, I was stuck in the idea of I really don't know because I was living a blissfully ignorant life. I was completely happy and content in my world. But now that I've had all these amazing people added to my life that I truly enjoy, I wouldn't go back. The flip side of that, had I had some of the experiences other people searching for biological family have where not only were you relinquished and given up for adoption, you're rejected a second time as an adult, I might feel totally different about that. I think at some level, you have to know your truth because especially now... Nowadays, back when I was born in 1970, nobody was worried about this. But nowadays, it seems like it's going to come out at some point, whether it's somebody finally spills the beans, somebody says the wrong thing, you do do an ancestry test and it all comes out. I'm glad I did it when I did it because you wait another five years from now. Who knows if I would have ever found anything and I just would have been wandering around with all of that identity crisis added to, I have no way to ever put any of it together.
0: Brad, uh, you've discovered your artistic bet. What do you do nowadays to express yourself? Writing is my favorite.
3: And I've been doing that for several months now. Um, it started with, it actually started with therapy. I started journaling in therapy and figured out for some reason I like to write. I don't like feelings at all, but I don't mind writing about my feelings. So I was like, okay, so I, I'm I'm cool with writing. I enjoy it. So that's been the main thing. I'm written a couple articles for Severance magazine and I've published them there. I'm actually taking a class now on memoir writing because I'm trying to write this all down as a story. And then I look at other things like when I met my biological father and he and I started talking, his sister sent me pictures. And there were these incredible paintings in the background. And I knew he did wood turning and made bowls and things in the prison. So I emailed him, I was like, Hey, um, are you holding out? Did you do you paint too? And his response was, I mean, yeah, one day my a guy in the cell with me was painting, and I thought, well, if that dummy can paint, I can probably paint. And his first painting, I'm looking at going, So you just picked up paint and painted this beautiful picture. And the answer is yes, he did. So my main thing is writing currently. I've always liked to doodle and draw. I would love to go back and learn guitar. I actually, I bought, before I learned any of this, I bought an acoustic guitar and I piddled around with it only to find a half brother on dad's side who played guitars, drums, and sang in a band. So all of that floats around in my genes somewhere. My favorite is writing right now. And because of that, Everything else, music and everything else has fallen by the wayside, but eventually I'd like to dabble back into that.
2: I, I think we've had a great conversation, guys. I I really appreciate this. And thank you so much, Brad, for for dealing with us. Thank you, know, you Brad. we yeah, we've we've pummeled you with questions. Um what's your message? What is it that, you know, or do you have questions for us, or what what is something that that you'd like to get out um on this podcast that uh the audience wants to know about you and your experience? Um, I think there's a couple of things. First,
3: when I first found this out, I felt totally alone and believed that I was probably one of maybe a hundred people. This had happened to only to jump online and find seven ish thousand people that have all had maybe not adoption, but some DNA surprise where dad's not dad or you're adopted or something. So I do believe we heal in community better, whether it's us three talking to each other, but you've got to find somebody to talk to about this because even my, my wife's incredible. She's been my rock through this. I can talk to her about anything and I can't remember if it was Jack or Michael that said it earlier, but nobody else really gets it. Nobody else gets being adopted. Nobody else gets the DNA surprise until it's you. So to find somebody that you can talk to that's had that shock is a lifesaver. I think my curiosity for both of y'all is being longer, not having longer knowledge of that adoption. Where do our stories mesh? Do y'all see the same similarities? Do they
2: change? Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that I find interesting is that, you know Michael's more the sociology expert on this but um the idea of generational um behavior you know like my parents and your parents are probably very similar age and you know my parents handled my revelation to them in a very similar way it's like yeah we didn't tell you that but it's no big deal nothing's changed it's the same you know And, um, you know, you go back to the 60s, you go back to the 50s, the 40s, you know, everything was there wasn't the same transparency, you know, so, you know, I mean, I think our parents handled things, I would say in the very same way, you know, I mean, for you, it was let's just not even tell him that he was adopted. And I think that's, you know, that was accepted back then. And, you know, for me, it's like, we don't need to tell him what his race was. We'll just tell him that he's the same race as us. That'll be fine. You know, um, those days, you know, the days of Ozzie and Harriet, you know, I mean, that, that you know, on, on on those shows, the husband and wife didn't even sleep in the same bed. You know, the concepts of, you know, an open life. Everyone had this perfect little pristine white picket fence life. And then now they find themselves in this ultra transparent world um, where they have to like face their lies. Um, It's difficult on them too. Like I empathize for my parents as well. And I think that, that struggle is uh, is difficult for me where I'm angry with them in one sense, but trying to understand them in the other.
0: I guess I'll just put it out as a question after all of that talking, how is it that people like you and I, can come to sit together and understand each other so easily, whereas we cannot do that with others who are not adopted, uh, even though our lives were so vastly different for so long.
3: I think that's probably a hard one. I, my guess would be, and not a sociologist, but I think that primal wound is there in all of us. And I think that's what binds us together, whether you know it for your whole life or you suddenly find out. It's that sudden recognition of, oh, my gosh, there's something off here. And, you know, whether you knew it for 48 years or you found out about it 48 years later, once you know, it changes everything. It changed everything for me and brought me into your world.
0: Jack, I don't know about you, but I think uh, I learned a bunch today. And Brad, what a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for thing, being with right. us. Brad, can you uh, let the listeners know how they might get in touch with you if they'd like?
3: Probably the easiest is through email. I've got an email just that I deal with all of this type of stuff, and it's mpebrad at gmail.com. So that's the easiest. I'm on Instagram as brad1407. I'm on Facebook. I'm kind of flutter. ever. if you go to Severance Magazine, you can find articles I've written and they link to, I think, everything about me.
0: Thank you so much, Brad. Brad Yule. Yeah. Thank you, Brad.
3: Thank you both for having me.
1: Explosions in the sky making paranoid his these jerk take a bottle from the back room, negotiate a fair price just to try and get away with it. I think he was just being nice, and I was acting on my best, baby. Trying to not.